I had a person tell me a while back of their family member who has no use for church, who has no use for the Bible, who more than likely is lost, (laughs) say, but I pray. Does that impress you? You understand every religion in the world prays? So if somebody says, I pray, trying to give you an idea that they are spiritual, they're going after maybe the wrong spirit. And your relationship with Christ is no better than your prayer life. Your relationship with Christ can be measured by your prayer life. Look at this passage of scripture here. John 19 beginning with verse 23. I've been asked to slow down how I read scripture. I said we could be here two hours if I do that. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. And now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parteth my raiment among them, and for my vestures they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Can you imagine if you were the soldier given the assignment to crucify this criminal named Jesus and you're there casting lots to see if you win his garment, to see if you win this seamless tunic. And all of a sudden, by whatever means, you won the garment of Christ. You won the tunic of Jesus Christ, this seamless robe. And you drape that thing on your shoulders and you go walking home because you're the winner. You won the cloak of Jesus. Doesn't that send chills up your spine as a child of God? to think that you would put on that cloak that holy Christ had to think that you would wear that thing that that Jesus Christ himself wore but that soldier he is completely oblivious to what has transpired and it's a beautiful metaphor in some ways because what that soldier does not seem to understand was when Jesus died on Calvary's tree he died there and he took that soldier's sin upon him And he took my sin upon him. And he took your sin upon him. And no, we do not have the tunic of Jesus Christ. But God says that he made Jesus Christ become sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Now can you get your arms around that one? Because I can't. And so just as this soldier is wrapped with this tunic around his shoulders, you and I, we don't have that tunic, but we have been given the very righteousness of Christ upon our life. And all of heaven sees that when you walk down the street. All of heaven knows that the angels, they see the garment of Christ's righteousness is on his life, is on her life. But why? 
Why would holy God say, I'm going to let my son die on Calvary? And if you look at the paintings of Christ on Calvary, he's always got a loincloth about him. But but that's just the artist's rendition to give modesty. Because when Jesus died on Calvary, he died completely naked, stripped so that the very shame could be on him. So he died bearing your sin. He died bearing your shame and mine as well. And God is saying... When you come to me, I will robe you in the righteousness of my son and you don't have to bear your sin and you don't have to bear that shame. Isn't that good? To think that what Jesus did for me and what he did for you so that we can walk with God, so that we can know God, so that we can be, be yielded. He, he, he allowed himself to be humiliated so we don't have to. You see, see, sin always likes to hide, right? Because, see, see the, the power of sin is in the secrecy of it. And so when Jesus died bearing your sin, there was no secrecy. Everything was exposed. But sin likes to hide. Because that's the power. That's why we hide our cell phones. It's a secret. Because once it's exposed, it's it's costly, right? So the power of sin is in the secrecy. And so when Jesus died, he died there before all. He died there bearing your sin, my sin. And God says, if you will but come to me, if you will but whisper to me what it is, that sin that that you are struggling with, what it is, that sin that you are involved in, he said, I will take the precious blood of Jesus and I will wash you and I will cleanse you and I will make you whole. I will take whatever that area is that you live with compromise in and I will not shame you with it. I will cover it. And that's good. But we've got to be the one who responds, right? Now now flip over in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Several years ago, the New York Times picked up a story on a little girl named Ashley Blocker. And, and, and Ashley Blocker's story originally came out of Georgia where she, she lived. And she was a, she, she was a resident with her mom and her dad. And, and she was but a little girl. And, and, and the uniqueness about Ashley Blocker is she has a condition called SIPA, C-I-P-A. And it means congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis. Simply put, she cannot feel pain. Now, now you and I who are over 50, 
We think that might be a good thing when we, we get up in the morning and our back is hurting and the arthritis is kicking in and, and whatever other condition that we have, we can feel no pain. And we say, man, it would be a great day if I could go a whole day without experiencing any pain. But pain has a purpose in your life. Do you understand that? And pain serves a useful purpose in your life. Because you see, when Ashley Blocker was eight months old, her eye got inflamed and they took her to the doctor and the doctor said, I've got to put this medicine in her eye. And what it will do is it will expose anything that is, that's not supposed to be there, any uh, obstruction, any cuts. And they said, when he put it in her eye, she just sat there. And he said, there was this tremendous cut that showed up across her eyeball. And at that moment, they realized something's not quite right because she doesn't even whimper. She was in the backyard when she was three or four years old and they had been using a pressure washer for some uh, thing to clean and, and she reached and she touched the hot pressure washer and she stood there with her hand red and blistered and she never whimpered a sound. Do you see how dangerous this can be when you have pain going on in your life but you don't feel any pain you see she had sippa she was not able to feel pain she still cannot feel pain it is a very rare disorder that that that, that she had and, and they had to constantly start watching her when she was at school they had to make sure they would put ice inside her bowl of chili because if it was scalding hot she would gulp it down and never make any movement they had to watch her when she went to play on the monkey bars they stood 15 feet away if she fell and she hurt herself she would get up and she didn't even realize she didn't get she did not feel any pain she had no sensitivity now look what it says in isaiah chapter one verse two Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Every parent in this room could say that, couldn't we? Hear, O heaven, give ear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. I've nourished and I've brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Me. Why is it God gave us the Ten Commandments? They're not ten suggestions. Why is it God gave us the Ten Commandments? Because you and I, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve... We have been born with a condition that we do not feel moral pain and we do not feel spiritual pain. Why? Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins, according to the book of Ephesians and chapter 2. We sit there and we can, we can do what we want and we don't feel any guilt. We don't feel any shame. We don't feel any condemnation. But God gave us ten commandments... And yet, we live in a time and a culture that says they really aren't that important, are they? And we can lie. 
and nothing happens. I don't even feel guilty about lying. I don't feel awkward about lying because that's just how life is, isn't it? We have to practice situation ethics. And do you understand that honesty is crucial for a child of God to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ? And if we allow this behavior in our life, what it is, it's a foundation for all other types of sin. But I don't feel guilty. I don't feel convicted when I tell a white lie. That's because we've got Sippa. And a lost world has Sippa. Congenital insensitivity or cognitive insensitivity to pain. And we can't see a connection between what the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. But I sinned and I didn't die. Got it? I, I did this. I stole. But I didn't die. I, I must have got by with it. It must not be wrong for me. That's where we live, isn't it? What's wrong for you? It doesn't make it wrong for me. If it's against this word, it does, doesn't it? Oh, you shouldn't judge me, preacher. Right? That's how God made me. I feel no pain. I feel no guilt. I feel no conviction. And we live in a world that's got sippa. And they have no concept of moral pain or spiritual pain that's where we are in america that's where our culture is in america because i don't feel bad i, I remember witnessing to a man several years ago he was 74 ish and uh, I, I i said have you ever sensed the conviction of God upon your life that you needed to be saved and he said no I said, I don't believe what you're saying. Because it's contradictory to what this word says. You see, you can sense the conviction of God and you can push it back so far that you don't feel nothing. Right? And it just rolls off your back, as they say, like a, like a water off of a goose's back. Do you understand how our body was made? That if you hurt yourself, your small blood vessels dilate. And your body swells, it fevers, and the pores open up, and water begins to pop through the edge of your skin. It's carrying something. It's carrying white blood cells, and they reach the accident scene wherever the cut is, wherever the, the, the bruise is, and they start gobbling up bacteria and debris that damage the cells, and they start pushing it through with water, trying to bring healing to your body and your entire body. When you hurt yourself, it, it, it mobilizes to fight the 
womb so that you can be healthy, so that you can get better. Everything in you responds. But hear me, you don't do that morally and you don't do that spiritually. Because we're desensitized. And sin doesn't bother us. Right? You just have to watch television. And we get immune. Because we see characters on the screen, we think that's normal. Right? It doesn't matter what their lifestyle. We think some of it's cute. We think it's funny. And we lack sensitivity. Now when you become a child of God, let me tell you what happens. You have by the quickening power of the Holy Spirit of God, you have been resensitized unto God. And as you respond to God, He, he keeps you sensitive unto His speaking, unto His word, unto His truth. And as you are sensitive unto Him, He allows you day in day to put off the old man and to put on the new man in Christ Jesus. And what happens is He brings scriptures to your mind. Therefore, when you are walking by faith, walking in Christ Jesus, and you live in an ungodly world where sin is rampant, and you see something, it grieves your spirit because you know biblically that's not right. He quickens your heart. And when you are tempted to do something, lie, He quickens your mind where it says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He gave us ten suggestions, right? No! Ten commandments. And as we adjust to his commandments, that sensitivity to his spirit enables us to walk by faith and to live to his glory. But if you have the idea that says, preacher, what's wrong or right for me may be wrong for you, and what's wrong for you may be right for me, where you get it? Culture. But it's not Bible. And at some point you've got to come down to Bible, do you not? If you tell me you're a blood-bought child of the living God. So let me pause and ask you a question. Do you know that you know that you know if you die today, you will be with God in glory? Because the Bible says, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you might think so, hope so, want to, but you can know that you are a child of the king and you know you have eternal life and it does not come by coming down to a front of a building. It does not come by saying a prayer. It does not come by getting wet in the baptistry. It does not come by, by your mama being, being, being a godly woman or your daddy being a preacher. It comes when you personally respond to Jesus Christ in repentance of your sin and you turn to him and he saves you and he puts the very garment of God's righteousness upon your life and he makes you into a new creation and he makes you fit for glory and therefore when you stray he speaks to you he quickens you will you respond because we live in a society that's completely been desensitized to sin and when we preach and there's topics of sin 
we're accused of being a legalist, right? And yet the Bible is very clear. Look what it says. Verse 3. The ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people does not consider. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they are gone away backward. Now look at verse 5. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revoke more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of your foot, even to your head, there is no woundedness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. And your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. And then he says, verse 18, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, now listen to me. Did you see what he said? He said, your head is sick. Your heart is faint. From the sole of your feet into your head, there's nothing sound in it. And they're saying, there's nothing wrong with me. Do you know anybody that might be like that? Their life is so filled with with, with the, the sin of the world. But they're saying... I'm fine. Don't worry about me. It's like going up to an accident and you, and you see the person and, and they're just broken and they're, they're saying, oh no, I'm good. Don't call an ambulance, I'm good. See, I believe the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin. Do you believe that? And I believe that's what we lead in verse 18. We, we say, come let us reason together. But, but listen to me. I believe that, but I don't think that's what verse 18 is actually saying. Because it doesn't talk about taking your sin away here in verse 18. And the context is what you've got to understand. If I were to stand up here and I were to begin to read and say, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of God and all these witnesses to unite. And what am I doing? A wedding, right? If I stood up here and said, got a letter that says, Dear John, what have I just got? Adios, right? Kiss it goodbye. If I stood here and said, being of sound mind and body, I bequeath, what am I reading? I'm reading the last will and testament. You recognize what's getting ready to happen. You anticipate the contents based on a couple of words. And so when you come to Isaiah chapter 1, it says there in verse 2, Hear, O heavens, give ear. You are in the middle of a courtroom scene, and you have holy God who is acting as judge, and holy God who is acting as lawyer, and he's coming and he's bringing charge. Charges against his people. And the charges are verses 2 and to 4. They've rebelled against me. They are corrupt. They have forsaken. They have provoked. They've gone way backwards. It's in verse 5 and 6. They're diseased. 
So, so God's looking at His people whom He gave ten commandments to. And He says, you are corrupt. You are diseased. You have gone backwards. He's leveling charges. It's almost like He said, I'm going to divorce you. Almost like that. But it's in the middle of a courtroom. So let me tell you what I see in verse 18. What's the color of sin? Your sins be as scarlet. This is the only place in the Bible where we talk about sins being as scarlet and red like crimson. We talk about the blackness of sin, right? But here, they're not taken away. They change colors. Red like scarlet. No, be as scarlet, though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. How many of you know what wool's like? It's lumpy, correct? So, 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 you know what he's talking about here? Everybody that got this letter knew what he was talking about because he's talking about leprosy. He said, you've got a disease called leprosy. That's why you find all throughout scripture how sin is related to leprosy. Because, see, leprosy, it affects the the extremities of your body, the nerve endings of your body, and it gets brilliantly, virulently scarlet colored, and and, and it it, it turns turns this bright red, and and then all of a sudden it bursts open, and it's it's a white, like wool. Because, you see, it affects your fingers, your toes, your nose, your ears, the extremities, And they lose their sensitivity. It's called Hansen's disease. The gentleman that per se discovered it, he was in a in a leper colony and he was there as a medical doctor and he was trying to help and he went to open a door with a lock and he put the key into the lock and it would not turn and the little boy that was with him said let me try and not to squelch that little boy's enthusiasm he gave the little boy the key and the little boy he gave a little bit of a twist and all of a sudden the door unlocks and, and, and the doctor said why couldn't I do this and this little kid could and, and when he looked at the lock he saw there was blood on it he saw there was tissue on it in fact the little boy tore the tip of his finger off in the process of opening the lock and the doc said let me see your hand and the boy had no pain the reason the doc could not open the door because when he got so far it caused pain in his hand and he stopped but this boy sits no pain and that's what sin does to us we sense no pain no guilt no shame and we say that might be a problem for you, but that's not a problem for me. Because we have sipa. We've lost moral sensitivity. We have no spiritual sensitivity to God. And once you begin to desensitize, man, it just gets harder and harder. You see, ever since the fall... We were shapen in iniquity and in sin did we were conceived. And when we give ourselves to sin, 
and we obey its lust, you know what happens? Your heart and your head become more and more disobedient and you feel no moral pain, no moral guilt, no moral shame. And you just say, there's nothing wrong with this. Is this making sense to anybody? Because this is our culture that's coming to the church. Because now we say we can embrace everything. Right? And yet the Word of God says, no. And if you can sin and it not bother you, you're in a scary place. And I don't care what church role you're on. I doubt you've ever been saved. Because when you get saved, he fills you with the Holy Spirit who comes in to quicken us. Now, now we were talking in class on Thursday night about the potter and the clay. And that video was, was great. And Malcolm's son is a... Where'd Malcolm go? What's he? A ceramicist. He's a potter. And he said, when you take the clay, you have to beat the clay to get it pliable, to get it soft. And, and, and then when you put that clay on the wheel, it starts to spin and the potter puts his hand on it. And when he feels a rough spot, he keeps fingering that spot. And you see, what happens is when you come to a place like this at a time like this, God starts to finger that spot in your life, that which is not right with Him. And hear me, you can push back His hand and say, No! Remember the video? He made the pot. It's all about your purpose. And when you understand your purpose in life is not to make a living and to see how much stuff you can gather before you die. You realize your purpose in life is to live to glorify Him. You understand whether I am a cup, a fork, or a pitcher. It does not matter. I want my purpose to come forth. And what God spins and fixes on the wheel, He takes and puts in the fire. Did you see the fire? Because that's where He fixes it. But if you push back his hand and say, don't touch me there, you go to the potsherd heap. Useless. And when we say, God, that, I don't see this as a problem. Ask your husband, ask your wife. Ask your parents. We're morally and spiritually desensitized. And we think it's good. Are you all familiar with uh, Adolf? I'll get his name here in just a second. Adolf Eichmann. He was one of, he was one of Adolf Hitler's henchmen. In fact, he was one that came up with the uh, Holocaust concept of completely destroying all the Jewish people. I've been in Auschwitz. I've been 
where the furnaces were. I've been in a little room that's not much bigger than this stage area where hundreds of thousands died in gas chambers. I've been there. And this guy named Adolf Eichmann, he, he birthed this mindset and, and he got away. He, he fled to Argentina in 1950 and he lived there working as a, as a worker in a Mercedes Benz shop. And, and all of a sudden word got back to Israel where he was and there was this one gentleman named Peter Malkin in 1960. He said, I will bring him back. Eichmann. Peter, Malcolm, and a few other commandos, after months, they grabbed him on the street, put him in a car, got a sick person certificate to fly out of the country, changed the name, got him to Israel, and he stood trial. But Malcolm questioned him and he said my sister died my nephews my best friend was four years old and you killed him he said he said my nephew was four had blonde hair blue eyes just like your own son and you know what he said Eichmann said he said but he was Jewish wasn't he He said, I was expecting some remorse. I was expecting some apology. But he was so, so desensitized that he just said, but he was Jewish. Like he he was just a stray dog. That's where sin takes you. And you don't think there's anything wrong with alcohol. And you don't think there's anything wrong with 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 a joint. And you don't think there's anything wrong with a little pornography. And you don't think there's anything wrong with, with, with a little, little just socializing. Because I don't sense no conviction. You got Sippa. Because this Bible says if you are not sensitive to sin, guess what? You're not sensitive. God and if you're not sensitive to God you're in a scary place and right now if God's quickening your heart and he's squeezing upon the the, the heart that's inside you and you understand how your pulse rate has increasing and you understand right now I'm standing before God he's moved inside me he's given me one more chance what are you going to do with it? Because this could be your last call. Eichmann said. He was Jewish. Wasn't he? He said well preacher what's all this got to do with prayer? (laughs) Everything. Every time you encounter God. It's in a prayer encounter. We say, wait a second, we were seeking praises unto God. That's a prayer encounter. 
you start at the beginning of the book in Genesis chapter 1. That is a prayer encounter with God. You go to Genesis chapter 2, there is a prayer encounter with God. Guess what? Adam doesn't even speak. See, we've got it all wrong. We think praying is me talking to God. And we have to come to the place where we understand prayer is me listening to the Father. I listen to God as I listen to His Word. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, that is another prayer encounter with God. Because it's not a matter of what you are saying. It's what is God saying. And are you hearing God when He speaks? Because He speaks a lot. He wrote a book. You know about it? It is a bestseller every year. So God speaks. Let me give you six quick characteristics of God's voice. Number one, God's voice is confirmed by Scripture. It never contradicts Scripture. Psalms 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Any desire I have that contradicts contrary to the word of God is not God. God's voice is confirmed by corresponding circumstances. He starts working in your life. God's voice is confirmed by constant conviction. He disturbs you. That's a good thing. He disturbs your soul. God's voice is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Read John 14, John 16. The Spirit of God comes inside your life. He gives guidance. God's voice can be confirmed by spiritual counselors. God's voice is confirmed by by the fulfillment of His Word. Israel had leprosy and they didn't even know it. How about you? John Phillips is a commentator from England. And he wrote this in his personal diary when he was working on the book of Daniel. He said, during World War II, he said, I found myself in a crisis. I had just been drafted into the British Army, and I found myself sitting on a train alone except for a friend who had been drafted also. Like myself, we were professing Christians. It was dark, cold, blustery. And as the train rattled over the points and roared through the tunnels, I did some thinking. And after a while, I said to my friend, Fred... This time tomorrow we'll be in a big barrack room somewhere in Bradford. What are you going to do when it comes time to go to bed? Are you going to say your prayer in bed or down by your bunk? He didn't hesitate. He said, in bed, of course. He said, I retired to my corner and I thought some more. I made a profession of faith at the age of 10. I'd been drilled in all the basics of the Christian life. I knew, however, that I had no vibrant testimony I thought back over my high school days I thought of the past few years in banking I had been a compromiser I'd managed to jog along showing a face to my friends at school and my colleagues at the bank and quite another face to my parents and my Christian friends and I realized there in that drafty noisy train that what I had was a secondhand faith the kind of faith that Lot who had compromised with his world had But I needed the faith of Abraham, the faith of Daniel. By this time, Fred was sound asleep. I pulled my coat collar up, shrank down into my coat for warmth. And there I prayed, Lord, I'm not proud of my Christian life. 
I don't even know if I am a Christian, but here and now, I purpose in my heart to let you be the Lord of my life. That's a good place to start, guys. And now I'm going to kneel by my bunk in the barracks tomorrow night. And with your help, I'll be a real Christian from now on. That's a good place to say amen, too. John Phillips right. I still remember that first day in the Army. We were hauled there. Hauled here, hauled everywhere. We were given shots, issued boots. We were offered tasteless food from the army, documents to sign we were soldiers. And then bedtime came. And I did what I decided to do. I put my Bible on my bed and I knelt down by my bunk and nothing happened. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. I don't even know what I really prayed. I vaguely remember counting up to 50 and saying amen. And that was all right with God for starters. I had made my statement. I had purposed in my heart. Woo! So what are you purposing in your heart? Are you going to let the world continue to cause you to lack sensitivity? Or are you going to take and make your stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Father God, we bow before you this morning. And Lord, Sipa's rampant. It's rampant in our culture. It's rampant in our world. It's rampant in our churches. We think we can live fast and loose and get by with it. We think we could just take your word as a suggestion book and not really make application of it. And yet, God, you called us. You have called us, saved us, equipped us. Father, help us to respond to you and to take a stand. And if something does not bother me, God, let me search your word. And if your word speaks it, whether I get goosebump conviction or not, let me yield to you. God, you're coming back. The hour is short. The time is drawing near. Let the church be a bride fit for glory, God. Robed and wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because you're coming back for your pure bride. Holy and pure, God. Not that we are going to be sinless in this world, but Father, we know how to repent day in and day out. And Father, we keep on striving to walk by faith and we put on the new man every day. So if you're here today and you don't know that you know that you know that if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven. Right now, God speaks to your heart. Won't you obey him? Or maybe you know that you know that you're lost. There's no more struggle other than the pride you have to swallow and say, yes, Lord. Maybe you have been saved, but you just let the world and the pleasures of sin just catch up with you. Altars open.